Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, chaplain at Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is Anthony Haskin, the soon-to-be not-pastoral lackey, the Catholic Center. And what he means is the current reigning pastoral lackey at the Catholic Center. Until the end of this podcast. <laughs> Until the end of the day. Yeah. Once We've I, got like an hour and a half. Once I step out of this Catholic we Center. We have like an hour and a half. <laughs> All right. So I am... I never stay till five. <laughs> I'm TJ Capaldi, and I'm a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta, known uh, mostly for my previous history as a pastoral lackey here at the Catholic Center. That may be the first thing you should put on your resume for the rest of your life. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, well, before we get into our topic, since <laughs> Do it seminarians is, and priests have resumes, you have a curriculum like a, vitae. Yeah, CV. <laughs> um, <laughs> since it, it, since it is the the uh, the last podcast or penultimate podcast as thomas would say <laughs> since it is your last podcast as the lackey i'm sure we'll have you back um as a lackey emeritus um i'm never coming back <laughs> great we've driven him away tell me about your year as a lackey how has it changed your life uh for the worse for the worst it makes me want to leave georgia tech <laughs> did you not want to leave before uh, I don't know, kind of. I still haven't left Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. TJ's been out two years and he's still hanging around. So Indeed, indeed. But I don't know, it was... it was. Have there been any positive notes? Uh, I think the podcast is a positive note, actually. So there you go. I've built this podcast into more than it deserves, I think. Well, you, you certainly have procured a lot of uh, equipment. Yeah, yeah, through generous peoples that seem to enjoy the podcast. Yes, but, um, disordered people of disordered minds uh-huh yeah um i seem to get i don't know people seem to respect me more than the other lackeys i've been described as the least lackey of the lackeys which that, i don't know if that's a good thing well, or a bad I thing i think i suspect lackey 4.0 is gonna balance that out. oh yes i'm just <laughs> suspecting that's gonna be the case the heir apparent he will be the <laughs> the fullest extent of lackiness that could be that that could be the the uh, the kind of eschaton of luck. I, I think <laughs> I think these people that say that don't know anything really because they're like I don't think they realize that I do absolutely nothing most of the time. They're like you're the most productive lackey. I was like, no, I really don't do much. <laughs> I think it's because of the podcast. And you also don't order cookies every day. That's right. Which or is, dip and dots. Which is what are Kyle are was people not. happy or, or unhappy coupons. about that? I think people are. I think people are happy, but. I think it's also kind of an insult. Because, <laughs> like, the lackey is supposed to be bad, right? To whom? Well, oh, to, to me. Yeah, yeah. We had a lackey going away lunch yesterday, and we invited we lackey 2.0, Kyle, and he came. And then, of course, Anthony was there, and we invited uh, the proto-lackey. Um, but uh, he he literally said to me, I have better things to do. No, I did not. I <laughs> That's did not exactly that. what he said. He said, I have better things to do. And I thought to myself... Well, it's about time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but we went to Fogo, so you know, we missed did, out. Yeah. That's a that is a proto lackey friendly establishment. Yeah, and the I need more the, I need more proto notice. The garlic steak came around four times. <laughs> that's my favorite garlic steak. Yeah. All right. So uh well at any rate, we've uh we've enjoyed having you and uh you know, Good. you know, come back at some point if you'd like. <laughs> We have a topic for today. Uh, it is um, not a necessarily well-researched topic, but just a kind of question we're going to throw out there, and that is uh, a a 
topic on St. Joseph. Just who is he? Why do we have devotion to him? Uh, what do we think about him? I think everybody has different kind of relationship with St. Joseph. Um, I was very, very happy when Pope Francis, it was one of the first things he did. It was like in his first six months, I want to say, as Pope. I mean, I have to look it up. But I want to say in his first six months, he added St. Joseph to uh, Eucharistic prayer 2, 3, and 4, and probably the other ones too that nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, it was already in number one. Um, and so it's great to like have to say or get to say uh, the name of St. Joseph every day during the Eucharistic prayer. Um, and uh, so anyway, we thought we'd talk about St. Joseph a little bit and kind of throw it open to the guys. TJ has a Bible open, so that makes me think he wants to say something uh, <laughs> sort of biblical or official. Yes. Sort of quasi, quasi-magisterial. quasi First, I'll say that it's ironic that we were talking about proto-lackey because I doesn't don't people say that jo- St. Joseph is due proto-dulia, as in like a special kind of honor? Who says that? I don't know. I've just read that. I people. Just, I just Googled <laughs> proto-dulia because I remembered that word and it, people are talking about what people? St. Joseph. I don't know. Maybe they have dubious credentials, but... They, <laughs> dubious, yes. But this is... People say this, that, that Joseph, St. Joseph is due proto-dulia. It's not hyper-dulia like Mary... Anyways, <laughs> we won't get into that. It's not important for the podcast, but it's interesting. Thanks um, for bringing it up then. <laughs> so, was anybody else interested in that? I wasn't very interested. No. Were you interested? Well, <laughs> it wasn't that interesting. Let's just be clear. Next. What do you got about... <laughs> you got the scriptures up. What do you got to say? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, you know, you're cheating if the only thing you have to say is to read the gospel. (laughs) That's cheating. I'm just giving us the background to talk about this. (laughs) Joseph is only mentioned a few times in scripture, and this this is the first time. And so it bears... I think, reading so that we can then talk about it. Now, the first and I think probably most obvious, potentially most... That was from which... The Gospel of Saint, according to St. Matthew. And how does Matthew start his Gospel? He starts his Gospel by with a uh, genealogy. So maybe it's not the first time he's yeah. mentioned. Who ends the genealogy? <laughs> well, it's the following from Joseph's <laughs> mention at time. the end of the genealogy. Uh-huh. I see. Okay, so the second time he was mentioned. Yeah, not the proto. That's okay. The- <laughs> All right. All right, sorry, just wanted to, you should see the look that TJ is, is making, not necessarily towards me. Yes, towards the universe, as the kids say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, obviously we can see here that 
uh, why St. Joseph is the patron saint of naps, uh, which I believe I learned from. Well, you didn't really cover all of that. Right. There's more to that. There's another right? dream. There's, yes. A couple more. <laughs> yeah. God, God is always speaking to Joseph, St. Joseph in, in his sleep. Correct. Um, the only time that we know that God ever spoke to St. Joseph was while he was asleep. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is why you might sometimes see a statue of St. Joseph asleep. Which the twins have hidden. <laughs> I have no idea where sleepy St. Joseph oh, is. No. <laughs> you can't just say things like the twins have hidden him. You mean on the, the Brazilian twins who <laughs> clean my house? Yes. Do, pe- do people on the podcast know about them? They do now. Yeah, yeah. sure, why not? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> right. It's not as exotic as it sounds. <laughs> it sounds really cool when you just say, well, the twins have hidden him. Like, <laughs> oh, the twins. <laughs> like your nemesis. Is <laughs> no, Sleepy St. Joseph uh, has been hidden somewhere. I have a, a lovely statue of Sleepy St. Joseph, and he's he's somewhere in the house. There's no question he's here. They never take anything out of the house, <laughs> but there's no telling where he is. Okay, so... Um, maybe we can come back to the, the St. Joseph sleeping thing, but I wanted to point out something different from this passage, uh, but I couldn't skip over the sleeping and the dreaming. Okay. Um, so I, I read this the way it's usually read, where it says that um, uh, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And when you read it that way, it sounds like it's saying... Uh, you know, that St. Joseph somehow thought that this was not from God or that it was from some other That's the classic interpretation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But someone recently suggested to me, and and I think this is worthwhile, I don't, unless it's like really the the interpretation, which I could just be wrong. Um, Recent suggestions versus tradition. (laughs) I I don't know if there's any tradition behind this interpretation, but... um, Joseph, having known Mary, would have known, like, the kind of person that she was. And it would be, I don't know, it seems strange to for him to expect that, you know, the child would have come from some other means. And so, uh, the suggestion... I've preached on this at least ten times that you've been there. <laughs> the, su- uh, the suggestion uh, was that... Um, that he not be afraid, that his fear was because it was from the Holy Spirit, that, that he was unworthy, that, that God okay, was telling Okay, you're doing him, a bad job of this. Okay. Mm. The, the interpretation that you most often hear yes. is that Joseph resolves to divorce Mary because he realizes that she is pregnant, and then the assumption is that he thinks that she has committed adultery. Right. And by law, if he's com- she's committed adultery, he could have her stoned to death. But instead, he resolves to divorce her, send her away quietly, theoretically in the hopes that somehow that is going to preserve her, and then he's going to kind of go on to do whatever it is that he does, right? It doesn't really, so, yeah. No, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't really make Right? Sense. But this is what people hear because they hear the word divorce. They don't understand betrothal. They don't understand any of it, right? So with, first of all, Joseph is identified as what kind of man? Just. A just man. What does a just man do? The right thing. Justice, yeah. <laughs> right? So what does justice demand of a Jewish woman who has committed adultery? She'd be stoned. Stoning to death. So Joseph, in sending Mary away, if this was the interpretation, 
he is no longer a just man. Right. Right? But Joseph is a just man. So the whole the whole thing is the idea that Joseph was just kind of kind of let her go away and try not to make a big deal and try not to cause a big scandal or this, that, and the other, it's a load of hogwash. First of all, they were betrothed. If Mary had gotten pregnant, it would not be a scandal. Betrothed people could have sex. What they had not done was they had not begun their life together. She, mm-hmm. He had not taken her into his home because his home was not prepared, right? So that's when the big wedding feast happened. When the wife moved into the home, that's when like the seven day or eight day or right, whatever right, it is, right, wedding exactly. feast occurred. Okay, so that had not happened. But had Mary gotten pregnant during that time, it would be unusual, but it would not be scandalous, right? So it's not like Joseph is worried that scandal is going to be caused in Nazareth because Mary's walking around pregnant. But rather, he thinks that he's unworthy well, because he knows. So now we're left with this problem, right? So if he's a just man and he believes that Mary's committed adultery, then he would have her stoned. Yeah. Right? And he doesn't have her stoned. So either he's not a just man or he doesn't believe she's committed adultery. Right? He's identified as a just man. That leaves one possible outcome. He doesn't believe she's committed adultery. Now, St. Joseph would have asked Mary, uh, you're pregnant. <laughs> we got anything to talk about? What's the deal? Yeah. You know, maybe we got something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then she starts talking about, you know, the angel Gabriel and this, that, and the other. And who knows what she said, right? Um, and uh, touched by an angel and all. Uh, and then he's probably very troubled, A, about the explanation, not necessarily understanding it. And B, this question of, if what Mary is saying is true, I have no role here, right? If what Mary is saying is true, in the whole thing that happened with the angel, then it's Joseph God. isn't mentioned yeah. at all, mm-hmm. right? It's God. It's like and okay, Mary. Yeah. I have no business being here. I'm going to step back and I'm going to let her live this life that God has called her to, um, and that's what a just man would do. God stole my right? woman, or yes, and he you could sing a country western song, <laughs> <laughs> or. He steps back and he says, I just don't understand this, right? Um, and so maybe he didn't get the whole thing. And then when the angel appeared to him in his dream, instructed him that he should not be afraid, but at the same time, maybe explained a little more about it. But why would the angel tell Joseph to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife? They're already betrothed. There's no reason why he couldn't do it. If he was trying to save her from shame, he just would have brought her into his house and raised the kid as if he was his own, if he was really trying to preserve her from shame. There's not a single part of it that would cause fear, except that he believes her. And he knows that Mary, having been visited by an angel, carrying the Messiah, that he is not worthy to be a part of that. And that he would, in fact, be afraid to be a part of that. Right? And so the angel tells him not to be afraid. You are worthy. You are chosen. So he is very intimately a part of God's plan for, you know, the holy family. Um, well, there, I mean, really, it wouldn't be much of a family without Joseph, I guess. Um, uh-huh. So, so yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. The first place I ever read that was in a book called To Know Christ Jesus by Frank Sheed. 
mm-hmm. which is one of the four great modern lives of Christ. Um, Along and, with... Uh, Fulton Sheen's Life of Christ, uh, Romano Guardini, The Lord, and I want to say his last name is Boccherini. I can't remember. Um, uh, Life of Christ. I've got all four of them. They're all very... Actually, it's the one that I can't remember the author is the best one. Summer's Not Over. Summer Reading. (laughs) Uh, Just spectacular books. Uh, All of them, really. Yeah, they're all great. They're all great in different ways. The the Guardini book is harder to read. Um, But at any rate... I think... This brings up something interesting, though, about the nature of the relationship between Joseph and Mary. Because I think there's two different, like, schools of thought on the nature of their marriage. Like, especially thinking about this with yesterday being um, Joachim and Anne. Mm. And about the, you know, the gospel of James and that sort of thing. Whether Mary was a consecrated virgin given to Joseph, an older man, for to be married, but be under his protection. The proto-evangelium. Yes, the proto-evangelium See, of that James. word is a theme here. Uh-huh. Proto. Proto-evangelium. Proto-evangelium. Mm-hmm. Proto-dulia. Or there, Joseph is a younger man, and they you know, have a, a natural marriage with the natural expectations of I was that. hoping you wouldn't bring this up. Why not? Well, I think the, the common understanding, even among the fathers, was that Joseph was older. Okay. But it had nothing to do with their marriage. The reason they said he was older is because when Jesus, when Jesus comes around uh, in his well, public life, Joseph, Joseph is already gone. dead. Right. Right. But it, I, I think it brings up a different thing between um, his role. Like if if Mary's a con- been consecrated as a virgin and now she's pregnant under the care of Saint Joseph, that you know the looking people will be looking at him like, okay, what the heck? Like you're this person who was supposed to be a virgin is now pregnant. That sort of thing. Maybe not exposing her to shame, but exposing him to shame could be part of his fear. Well, I, don't I mean, know. there's. I don't think there's any question that the people of Nazareth believe that Jesus is his son. Uh-huh. So he raised him as his son. As far as anybody else is concerned, they they uh, have their marital relations three times a week on average, just like <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, sure. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know how public any of that would need to be. Oh, okay. Right? It is interesting to consider the uh, uh, the fact that in the Holy Family, uh, and particularly in the person of St. Joseph, that this, well, and Mary too, celibacy and marriage are like, uh, somehow come together in like a mysterious way. Uh, where the, in our lives, we kind of like choose one or the other. Um, and in their lives, they were like given the fullness of both experiences of celibacy and marriage. I mean, I don't know how to describe that. J- John Paul II talks about it in Theology of the Body. Um, I don't have the words to really go into the description of it, but it's just, it's very interesting, some too, for people to consider that reality. I also always find, um, I, I go back to Mary and Joseph's marriage a lot uh, when I'm talking to people about various things. Um, it's interesting that the marriage we would consider to be the greatest marriage that's ever existed, right, in terms <laughs> of a human institution, um, was Mary and Joseph, which was a marriage in which there was no sexual activity, which is important to remember as soon as we start defining sex as like the apex or as the highest expression of love between married people. We know from experience that God has revealed that is not true, <laughs> right? Um not that sex is not a good thing. It's a beautiful, good, beautiful, wonderful, holy thing. Do it frequently if you're married. Um, we need more kids. But 
But we do have to, like, we got to keep in mind, like, this thing between Mary and Joseph uh, is a beautiful, important thing. Um, yeah. I was very blessed. Last night I was uh, joining a, a Bible study of a friend of mine just for the evening, and many of the men in the group were uh, married or engaged, and uh, I was very privileged to hear them talk about uh, uh, just their experience of, like, learning what intimacy is. Um, as married men and that so much of it is not, uh, not what they expected. So much of it is not, uh, physical because of the, the way that chastity is lived out in the vocation, in the sacrament of marriage. Um, and that they've discovered like, uh, depths of intimacy, non-physical intimacy that they, they didn't even know about, uh, before they were married. So it's very, it's very powerful witness for me, especially as a seminarian, to to hear about that. And I would say it's depths of intimacy they could not have known about before mm-hmm. they were married. Mm. It's not possible. Yeah. Hmm. All right. What else do you have to say about St. Joseph? Me? I'm looking at this great painting that hangs in my apartment, <laughs> which we affectionately call the Death of St. Joseph. Although I think the author of the painting, or the, what do you call him, the painter of the painting... Probably intended it to be called the Holy Family. <laughs> but that'd have to be a visual podcast. We can't talk about that right now. No. Remain in the mystery, people. I can put a picture of it in this in the links. Um uh, well the flight into okay. Egypt is probably an interesting um story. I've heard it didn't like, involve planes at all. No. And now when they had departed that is, uh, to go to Bethlehem. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have call- have I called my son. Wait, can we talk about um, him being born in Bethlehem first? Yes. So I had this reflection, I think, last Christmas, and it still kind of haunts me, right? So Mary and Joseph and, well, baby Jesus in the womb go from Nazareth right, uh-huh. down to Bethlehem for the census, right? So they get to Bethlehem, and this is the ancestral city of Joseph, mm-hmm. right? He's the one in the genealogy that has the connection to David, exactly. right? So this is his ancestral city. So somewhere in this city, he has relatives living, right? at least extended relatives. And he gets to the city, and there's no room in the inn. And we tend to think like we think in, we think like the Holiday Inn, or the Red Roof Inn. There's no inn. <laughs> the Prince and Pony. It's like uh, the inn is this fenced-in area outside the city that's designed to keep marauders and wolves from attacking the travelers who are camped in tents, right? Like that's what the inn is. Um, so there's no room in the inn, which means this camping area that's fenced in outside the city. There's no room in the city, or nobody will take them in. And I think to myself, like, what is Joseph going through? Now that he has listened to God, he's not been afraid to take Mary as his wife. And then he puts her on a donkey when she's about to bust with child, carries her, say, five days across the Sumerian mountains, 
down to Bethlehem only to get there and have his own family not take him into their house. And no one in the inn. These are people who are camping outside. No one will make room for a woman who is about to go into labor. That's a fascinating problem. <laughs> I think to myself, like, I know some really, really nasty people. I don't know if I know anyone who wouldn't make some sort of accommodation for a woman in labor. Like, I don't know if I know anybody who wouldn't do that. Right? Like, you think about the worst person in the world that you know. Some, like, gangbanger who's selling drugs and killing people and this, that, and the other. And a pregnant woman shows up in labor. He's, like, freaking out, like, calling the doctor, getting hot water, like, all this kind of stuff. Right? Because that's what, that's what we do when somebody's having a baby. And they get to Bethlehem, and no one will let them in. That is a bizarre thing. And I think to myself, like, what must Joseph have thought as he is now taking Mary away from the city, away from the inn, to find a cave that sheep live in so that she can give birth to the Messiah, the woman that has been entrusted to him? Like, that is a, uh, that's got to be a difficult moment for Joseph. You know, especially in regards to his family and like who shows like, up shepherds, right? <laughs> Dirty, nasty, and, and you ever met a shepherd. You don't want them holding your baby, <laughs> right? Like dirty, nasty shepherds show up. They couldn't like, smell them. They were already where the sheep live. That's true. They wouldn't have noticed that. But uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? The shepherds show up and the next thing we hear about is like the wise men, right? So the shepherds, the dirty, the dirty, nasty shepherds show up. And then the wise men, right? So my own family won't reject me, but now I got these Persian kings coming <laughs> and they're going to stop by and say hello. But like, what what a bizarre situation. It's a really bizarre situation. Hmm. Do you think that it's a, uh, it's a representation of the lack of virtue in the world at that time or like the situation in particular of like all these people being called to go to these different places for the census. And well, it's interesting. You know, there's this proclamation of Christmas that you can do at midnight mass. Yeah. Um, that kind of gets sung and it's talking about all the things going on in the world and the timing and when Jesus came in the world. And the last line before, as they're listing all the historical events that have taken place is the whole world being at peace. Jesus Christ was born in the city of David, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's like, the whole world's at peace. There's no like great famine, strife, anything going on when Jesus comes into the world, right? It's like, it's crazy that people, I mean, it's just bizarre. I, I cannot think, there are probably situations in the world where this would happen, but I've just never met, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who wouldn't give up their place for a woman who's currently in labor. I just don't know that I've ever met anybody who wouldn't do that. Do you think then it's just God like exercising his will that that the Messiah be born in this in this particular setting? Rejected at his birth. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, uh, I think that's possible. I also think I think a legitimate interpretation, although I will be dead honest with you, I've never read this anywhere, is it is it maybe maybe Joseph had experienced some sort of rejection from his own family. You know, if he was an older man, it's interesting that he's an older man marrying a much younger woman. It takes him a while to get their house in order, right? So he hasn't accumulated assets. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting problem. I don't know. 
I don't know. I just, I just have found that to be because it's one of those things like we think about it and we think, oh, there's no room in the inn. And, you know, what's like one pregnant woman? You know, there's always room for a pregnant woman. Always. I just watched this, uh, the movie Dunkirk, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where there's this, uh, I guess a destroyer or something that's docked at Dunkirk and it's got a number of the officers or not the officers, but I guess the soldiers who they're going to take and move back to England. And the f- opening scene involves these uh, medical personnel bringing stretchers and there's maybe 20 stretchers or something of guys and they're moving down this dock having to get through all the soldiers dozens and everybody's getting and out of their dozens way. Dozens and dozens of people that all they want to do is go home. Everybody wants to go home but they're all getting out of, way, yeah. out of the way for the injured guy, right? And then and then there's the other two guys that kind of pick up this wounded dude and they're, they're trying to get off. So they're behind the main group of say 20 wounded and all those 20 get on. They're about to have the boat cast off and then right at the last minute after having to shove through everybody, but everybody does get out of the way, right? Um, these two other guys are able to get this last wounded person on the boat, and then they're kind of kicked off the boat. They were hoping to go home with the wounded person, but they get kicked off the boat. And I'm thinking to myself, like, here we are in a military situation where all of these people who are standing on that dock know, if I don't get home soon, I am going to die or be captured by the Nazis. Right. Every single one of them knows that. Right. But they're getting out of the way for the wounded guy. What do you think they would have done if there was a pregnant woman? <laughs> They'd have been throwing people off the docks. Right. Like for a pregnant woman versus their wounded brother soldiers. Right. They, I mean, they would have really been going out of their way for that. And I, I don't believe that's that different today than it would have been back then. That's why I say it's one of those things that when you're a little kid, you learn, oh, there's no room in the inn. And you think to yourself, oh, how selfish of people, right? Um, or how sad that nobody made room for Mary and Joseph. But you don't realize like how profoundly offensive that is. That in an entire city, you can't find room for a pregnant woman. So badly that she goes and has her baby where sheep live. Right? Like, who, who would do that? I mean, that's a... That's crazy. And poor, poor Joseph must have felt like a failure. Like a total and complete failure. And there's actually in icons, um, if you ever see a famous, there's this famous icon of the nativity. And down in the bottom part of it, Joseph is sitting uh. with his hand on his on his wrist, looking dejected. And an angel comes to yeah, speak to like- him. <laughs> you know, but it's kind of this thing. is like this sort of dejection he feels at the fact that he's laid his child in a manger, a place where sheep eat right um sheep gotta eat sheep right. gotta eat every sheep gotta eat uh, but it's amazing to think of also a father who would accept whatever sort of dejection and rejection that involves to just do what's necessary yes to provide the best possible environment for his wife and for his son, for his foster son. Right. Whatever. Yeah, a child that's not actually his. Yeah. Like. Um, so there's there's a tremendous, a tremendous amount of virtue uh, mm-hmm. in Joseph. I mean, it's just, just demonstrated in that one sort of event. And then after he finally has this kind of place and they're settled and this, that, and everything, they've been there for a couple of years, Joseph has built a little house. In fact, if you go to the Basilica of the Nativity, um, on top 
of but down below the basilica is the place where Jesus was born, and this place called the House of St. Joseph, right? This house that he built around the cave that they were living in because they were like, well, this is just where we're going to stay, right? And um, uh, so this House of St. Joseph where they stayed theoretically for about two years before they fled to Egypt uh, because Herod had all of the children under two years uh, slain. Kill. So the theory is that uh, Jesus was around two at that point. Um, so he stayed. That's the other thing too, right? So like after this big rejection, he stays in Bethlehem, right? But he, but he stays out in the field. Mm-hmm. He stays out in the field where where there's no city, <laughs> you know, like that. That's very strange. It's very strange. And then he goes to Egypt. I remember actually my first experience ever seeing anything religious, really, um, in the year 2002, or maybe it was 1999. I don't remember. Uh, I went to Turkey and to Egypt. And I remember going to Egypt and I had this lady who was giving me a tour. I was, I was just there by myself and had a private tour. And uh, this lady who was giving me a tour, she took me down this hallway and we went curving around all these little streets in the middle of Cairo. And we came to this church, Christian church. uh, And she said, this was the house of Joseph when they were in Cairo. And I remember walking in, I was like, I didn't even believe in God at that point. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. (laughs) Right? It was not nice at all. I mean, it looked like a pigsty. But I was like this is pretty cool. Like Jesus lived here. Right. And then I remember going home and like looking it up and I was like, Oh wow. He was there for, he may have been there for a while or I don't know how long it was. Um, and then of course Joseph goes back and they skip the house in Bethlehem and go back to Nazareth, which of Mm -hmm. course is where, uh, the house of the Holy family is today and, or whatnot. But, um, fascinating though. Like it's like for Joseph to have to take his son to down to Egypt, right? Every Jew in the world knew, you do not go to Egypt. Like Egypt is oh, where yeah. this, we were liberated from Egypt, right? This is a sign of slavery. And yet God's telling him to take his family to Egypt. You know, Joseph's got to be thinking, okay, so I'm not doing so well here in Bethlehem. So what you want me to do is take my kid into slavery, right? To our enemies. Egyptian are sworn enemies. That's who you want me to take him to. Right. It's amazing. So yeah. I'm thinking is on the flight to Egypt is they did not fly. No, I it's like Egypt yes, Air flew. Egypt <laughs> Air four thirteen flyer, yeah. Left at eight twenty in the morning. She's not pregnant anymore, so they can get on Tel Aviv. <laughs> they they fleed. Transferred. Yes. But are they so they leave Bethlehem. Herod's slaughtering children in Bethlehem. Are in agents Egypt. of Herod following them to Egypt, or do they just get out of Bethlehem and then make their merry way to Egypt? I'm imagining St. Joseph like fighting off assassins on the way to Egypt. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like ninja moves. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we should we should note that there are um He's an old man, but like, he's like uh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> almost like excessively detailed accounts of, of St. Joseph's life out there that people read for devotional reasons, but I always found them a little bit uh, I don't I've know. never read one. Uh, like who? Um, you, you know how there's uh, like visionaries and and saints who saw like the had the life of Mary mm-hmm. revealed to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it works exactly the same, but there are actually books about that that recount like the life of Saint Joseph in a similar way. I haven't read any of them, but I always found them a little interesting. I don't no, know. I've never run across one. They're out there. Hmm. So, anyways, anyways, um, so yeah, the flight into Egypt kind of breezed over that um 
I don't know if there's anything else there. Um, what ha- what happens next is um, <laughs> they go back to Nazareth. Yeah, not a whole lot for Saint Joseph after that. Right. Well, this just just to make the to bring home the point about sleeping Saint Joseph. <laughs> oh yes, he's sleeping forever. <laughs> when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead." And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Uh, but when he heard that Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that was spoken by the prophets, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So there you have it. I do think it's worth noting also there, there's probably several other things we could talk about with St. Joseph. Uh, he's the patron of like t- dozens of things. Um, notably, the, uh, the un- he is the, the patron church. of the universal church, which is very interesting. Um, I'm sure there's much written about that. From What about the galactic church? These local, no, no, no. I don't know. Just the big one. I don't know how that works. Might be Saint Luke. (laughs) 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 But um, he is also the patron of the dying, which I think is very important for us to to know and to be aware of. That uh, that Saint Saint Joseph ought to be invoked when uh, when people are are close to death and and when their death is imminent. Um, That his intercession there is very powerful and. I do like the the reasoning behind that, or at least uh, what I know is the reasoning is that s- since we assume that Joseph died uh, before Jesus, you know, before his public ministry and his uh, he definitely died, right? Yes, yeah. he's <laughs> he okay. So because G- because <laughs> Joseph died before Jesus' public ministry, um, that he. Uh, the image that's invoked is the image of Joseph dying in the hands of Jesus and Mary, which is the way in which, um, yeah. How do you want to die? We would desire to die is in the hands of Jesus and Mary with their help. So, but as Father, he says that, I'm looking at the death of Saint Joseph. He's not touching either. Right of me, I'm not sure that's the way it really happened. <laughs> it looks to me like Joseph is being consumed by his mantle. He died standing up. Standing up. <laughs> You really have to see the painting in order to understand. It's just the way it is. We'll do another podcast on that. It has to be a visual podcast. Yeah, you have like a, you have to have a, an, an image of it. We'll have an image. Of it. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, Joseph figures largely in some other things. I will say this: we did the litany of Saint Joseph. What month was that? March. March. Uh, we did the litany of Saint Joseph at our daily masses, and my favorite title of his is "Terror of Demons." Terror of Demons. That's yes. an awesome title. Uh, um, but I also like. Uh, Mary's title, Exterminatrix of All oh, Heresies, and they removed that from the uh, Litany of Loretto. So. Uh, but at any rate, so St. <laughs> Joseph, Terror of Demons. Um, pray for us. Yeah, pray for us. And uh, so if you have any questions or comments about St. Joseph, uh, we only covered a, a tiny, tiny little yeah, bit. So right. many people have written about St. Joseph, uh, but we've already gone too long. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Podcast at gtcatholic.org. And Anthony, congratulations on seminary, and thanks Thank for a uh, you know lackluster year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, God bless.